Welcome to Blaine Christ the King. You are listening to our weekly service message podcast. Join us every Sunday morning at 10 o'clock at our campus location in Blaine, Washington. Thanks for tuning in. Hi, everyone. Good morning. My name is Derek, and I'm obviously not Tyler. If you are a first-time guest here, welcome. I met Monique at the back door, front door, and uh, hi. And uh, I am filling in because I got a text at about 5 this morning saying, my family has been sick all night. I'm not going to go into any more details than that. This is church. And uh, let your imagination run wild. And uh, what are the chances that you come and fill in? And so I had a moment. I was like, well, what would love do? And then I'm like, what are you preaching on? You know, okay, you got the notes there. And, um, you know, as, uh, as a speaker, you put lots of hours. Like, uh, words are our tapestry. And we want to connect with people in ways that move them closer to God. Move uh, people into understanding who God created them to be. And it's very difficult at times to just feel that you're unprepared. And so I had this moment, I can be as, this could be the most stressed out I've ever been, or I can just use Tyler's notes and um, it could be the least stressed out I've ever been. So I just decided I'm using Tyler's notes. I'm going back to bed. I'm gonna get a good night's sleep. I'm gonna roll out here rested. So this is very rested, very unprepared Derek at your service this morning. Yeah, thank you. Thank you everyone. Do you, do you know Max Lucado? Anyone remember Max Lucado? He's a uh, a pastor in uh, Texas, and uh, I came to know the Lord at Western Washington University and uh, from a very non-Christian home, knew nothing about Jesus, didn't even, I I wouldn't even say I knew a Christian before I got to college, and um, so I had no mentors, my dad had died pretty tragically when I was young, and, um, but I found this Max Lucado book, and uh, and I just started reading it, and he has this way of just taking like very normal situations and seeing God in the midst of this situation. And I was just, I was just enchanted by the ways that he could just see God in things, and he'd suck me in. And so I'd read another book, and then read another book. And for a while there, it felt like he was putting books out every 15 minutes. I don't know if he had a ghostwriter or what was going on, but I'm just reading all this stuff. And finally, he comes to Seattle, and I get this chance uh, to go and see Max Lucado, who had been a huge influence in my life. And so I get a ticket, and I'm there, and I'm waiting and waiting and waiting, and he's not there. He, he doesn't show up. Well, anyway, he rolls in like an hour late, and uh, he apologizes because I think he got on the 405 instead of the I-5, or, you know, he ends up getting lost. But he puts aside his notes, and he's like, what happens when God calls you to, or you think God's calling you this way, and then all of a sudden he directs you another? And he just makes a story out of getting lost and being late an hour. And all of a sudden, we feel closer to God. And it ended up being amazing. And when Tyler called me this morning, I was like, I wish I was Max Lucado. But I am no Max Lucado. So most of these notes are Tyler's with some of my notes kind of added for personal flavor. But I did want to give you a little context for what we're doing. Last week started a series in 1 Corinthians about love. 
And when I was searching for, for, for God, um, or actually I wouldn't even say that I was searching for God. I, w- I would say that I was love starved. I was a person that was searching for significant uh, connections and relationships because my family system was just broken and I'd been through a series of, of, uh, of just uh, relationships trying to make up for something in my life and I couldn't find anything. So I started looking into spirituality. I didn't want to be a Christian because there's so much baggage around Christians and politics and all this stuff going on. And, and, um, but when I read first Corinthians 13, this passage that, that, uh, we're looking at in this series, I started to understand that love is not something to strive for. It is God's principle of his force in the world. It says that that God is love, and Jesus was the embodiment of love, which actually means that that love put flesh on and came into this world. Jesus didn't have to go, oh, I'm so impatient with them. Let me try to be patient. Jesus just was patient because Jesus is fully loving. And so we're not to teach these things like, you need to really try harder this way, and you need to try harder that way because trying is not the goal of our faith. The goal of our faith is to understand fully who God is and allow the truth of that to work in us in ways that look a lot like love. That when Christians operate out of the ethic of love, not trying to love people, but just really loving people, it says that God sees or or the others see that and understand that there is a God in heaven. And that's what happened to me. I didn't want to necessarily be a Christian. I started studying all these other faith systems, and it was like, try really hard to do this, or, or, or try and find nirvana this, or do this and do that. And, and this, this idea that love became a person, and then extended these arms of love and showed this is who you are, this is how you were to be like me, was, it was actually freeing. I, I could stop trying to love, trying to love so hard, and just go, is that loving? And if it was, do that thing, and if it wasn't, understand what it was that I was supposed to do. And um, in that, we see that love is, is grace, and love is truth. And the fantastic thing about God's love is it is completely balanced. God never compromises his truth. He never compromises his holiness or his standard when he's gracious and shows grace to those who need it. But when he's being gracious and, and accepting, he, 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 he never compromises the truth of who he is. So he's fully gracious and fully truthful. And sometimes in in uh, religious or church or or family organizations we see groups of people that will camp behind but this is true and they're so true that they uh, appear unloving because they're not gracious they're not accepting or sometimes people or family systems will be so gracious that it, it, it kind of feels like anything goes and there's no backbone to it. There's no, no substantive uh, order to how it should be. And in this, Paul lays out this, this order to love, that love is fully gracious and 
fully truthful. And as a people, that is, that is who we are to be. When we say we are going to be a lighthouse or a beacon of love to the people in Blaine, it's not necessarily saying come and do anything, but it is saying regardless of anything that you've done, you will be accepted. There is still a standard, God's standard, but there is hope uh, or there is forgiveness for the past and there is hope for the future. No matter what you've done, we will love you. We will accept you. But it doesn't change the fact that God as love has a standard. And over here, if, if, if we run into some tough truths of, of God, we are going to communicate those as graciously as we can, understanding that those around us are in process, just like we were or just like we still are. So with that kind of as uh, my basis, I'd like to get into uh, the notes. Um, last week, love as God explains it. I talked about the two greatest commandments, to love God with all the heart, mind, soul, and strength. And the second, of course, to love others as ourself. There's no deeper calling that we than we have to love. Again, when love is something to strive for, it seems like a lot of work. When, when love is something to, to surrender or submit or to just accept, then love becomes um, much more enjoyable. If we want to fulfill this commandment, it's it, we want to take a hard look at what love is, and that's what we're doing. So uh, Tyler says that love uh, is often very squishy, like jello, and uh, that people can try to mold it into whatever uh, they, they want it to be. Um, and uh, apparently he sang some love songs last week. Was, was that good? Yeah, I'm not going to do that. So... Um, but God's love isn't a squishy kind of love. It's an all-encompassing, um, extremely practical, costly love. Like I said, love that led to death, a love that gives life. Um, so in verse 4, 1 Corinthians chapter 13, uh, if you're reading along, it says, Love is patient. Love is kind. Love does not envy or boast, it is not arrogant or rude. Uh, patience and kindness are essential parts uh, to what it means to love others. You can't love without showing patience or kindness to others. Now, it could be said that Derek loves nachos. It's probably said about every Sunday. I, I get done with church, I'll make myself a plate of nachos, I'll pass out in front of some football game. As long as anyone other than the Patriots wins, it's totally fine. <laughs> but you could say I love nachos. The thing is, is that I do not have a lot of patience with nachos. If I go anywhere to order nachos, you kind of want them right now, get in my belly. But nachos are, are not something that, that love demands that we are patient with. But d love does demand. Love in itself asks that we are patient with one another. We just got a, uh, I actually just moved this week, and we got a bonus room, and the kids are playing in the bonus room, and, um, and uh, we've never had a bonus room, and they're excited, but this one wants it to go this way, and this one wants it to go this way, and, and what do parents want? They just want their kids to get along, right? 
which usually means that someone's got to extend uh, a, a level of of patience and uh, f- f- God of course has this global perspective and is wanting us to be patient with those of us that might not understand maybe they didn't grow up with the best environment like I didn't and I needed a little bit more time maybe they struggle with some addiction maybe they haven't had God revealed to them in a way yet maybe they're they're that person at work that God has intentionally put there to shape us to be more like him. We wouldn't be shaped by someone who's easy to get along with, but if we are patient, we can learn from people that are different than us, and love demands it. We tend to put limits around how patient we're willing to be. We say things like, I'm running out of patience, or I'll try to be kind, um, and and neither reflect the type of love that God has shown towards us. Um, sometimes we reduce this command to being nice, and it, there, in this context, it's not listed in the Bible anywhere that we are just to be nice to each other. Um, if we take it, this command and just settle for being nice, we're settling for tolerating people instead of truly loving them. And eventually, this niceness just kind of cracks. It's shown for what it is, just posturing. If we give it enough time, people will see that our hearts are indifferent. And we want people to see that our hearts are full of love. Um, often in, in, in churches, we can use niceness as a way to protect ourselves to have to love people sacrificially. We don't want to love people in a, in a way that costs us something. The church can be super friendly at times, but often never personal. Um, Tyler had a friend who, who once said her church was full of the nicest people you'll ever get to meet, but they never got to meet each other. Um, Love is personal. And when Paul writes the words patience and kindness, it goes far deeper than being nice to people. The word patience means to suffer long with someone, to care about someone so much that even if they wrong you or make the same mistake over and over, you'll never stop being compassionate. You'll never withdraw from their lives. You keep caring for them. We're supposed to be patient and kind. The word Paul uses for kindness means to practice mercy towards someone. To not care for someone because of what you receive back, whether tangible or intangible, but to choose to love someone even when they are difficult. This group of of believers that I ended up living uh, amongst in college, I, I can't imagine the level of patience and grace they showed towards me because I was not living like them at all. But they didn't correct me. They let me have my opinions. They just invited me continually to be around them. And I saw that the way that they lived and the way that they loved was completely different than what I came to know. Well, both these words together, kindness and reflection, reflect love that's in it for the long haul. It means caring for people, not just who they are now, but having faith that God can shape them into what he wants them to become. No one, no one is outside of God's reach. His heart is that everyone, every person would eventually seek him and find him. But what makes him worth seeking, what makes him interested, I never would have sought him if his people were unkind and unloving. If they were impatient with me and unkind, I never would have have thought to seek the source of uh, their faith. So it was their, their kindness and their patience that was tangible love that, that opened a pathway for me to God. And patience and kindness 
asks us a question. It says, how gracious am I willing to be towards someone? And again, this is not an effort question. It's just a, a, a love measure. How, how am, am I willing to lay down my life and be gracious towards someone? And if we're loving, then, then the answer to that is yes. If we're, if we're trying to intellectually uh, love out of our own effort, we'll get frustrated. Um, if you're someone who likes to put limits around your willingness to be patient and kind, uh, then Jesus is going to mess you up a bit. He's going to challenge those limits. And like the coworker that I joked about, I had this coworker that was so mean. I don't know if you've ever had a mean coworker, but um, if you haven't, then you're the mean coworker. <laughs> but just pretty much started yelling at me. And so I, I, I told him, I said, hey, you made my prayer, prayer list. And that ticked him off. So <laughs> the next week, he's completely mean again. And I'm like, you're top 10, bro. And so he, the meaner he would get, the more I would move him up my list. Now, I don't recommend this to everybody. <laughs> this is a guy, like, probably button horns. And I was learning to do this differently because I, you know, in my old days might have handled it a little differently. But now I had to surrender to love. And eventually, I just looked him in the eyes and I said, you are number one on my prayer list. I'm praying for you every day. And he just broke down crying. Like, why? Like, I'm so mean to you. And uh, he'd known about Jesus when he was younger and, and walked away. And we went behind our work building and he recommits his life to Jesus. And, and it, it was out of kindness. But I tell you, it wasn't my kindness. My kindness wanted to give him the right fist of fellowship, right? <laughs> But God's kindness was willing to be patient. See what I'm saying? Uh, in Matthew 18, uh, 21 through 23, P Peter comes up to ask Jesus about forgiving someone. He says, Lord, how often will my brother sin against me and I forgive him? As many as seven times, Jesus said to him, I do not say to you seven times but 77 times. When Jesus says 77 times here, what he means is that there's no limit to the grace we're supposed to extend to people. Stop counting. Don't keep a list at 76. That's not what's going on here. He's telling people to be boundless in his patience and mercy towards others. It doesn't mean that we're bound to people. So if you're in an abusive or an unhealthy relationship, we're not telling you to stay in that. In fact, there's a history of that in the church, and that's not what God is saying here, and it's not what we're saying here. What he's saying is that we should always be willing to forgive people, to release them, to free them from the bitterness or the anger that we have in our hearts. Uh, every time I speak about forgiveness, people come up and ask, like, what is forgiveness? And um, uh, it, it's because we are so unwilling to, to forgive, but when we don't, we are, we are bound to that person. If that person were to walk in, we would feel awful. And, and, and unforgiveness is like drinking a poison in hope to, to punish someone else, but it just hurts ourselves. And God is asking us to forgive people, to, to be free, 
so that we can love and show patience and kindness and not be bound. In light of that, um, we're not to, to write people off. We're never to stop caring for people. We continue to show love instead of cutting them off or pretending they don't exist. And patience is willing to wait for breakthroughs. Um, we wait for God to show up in someone's life. I'm sure you have people that God has placed in your life that you've been praying for a breakthrough. Um, uh, maybe a, it's addiction or hurt or continuing to happen. Like I said, coworker or family member. Maybe you've been um, holding out hope for kids that have strayed away. And we see this all the time with, with people who, who continue in fellowship. For, for those people that walk away from, from gathering weekly or focusing on Jesus. And just the, the, the hurt that it causes the people that stay and the hurt that it causes people to go. And we just, we long for people to get along in love. But, but we are supposed to continue to trust that God is working in and through that. And in love, we, we wait patiently for God to bring breakthrough in the lives of others. We wait while we display the kindness of God whenever we have the chance. We don't say, like, where were you this weekend? I was at church. Why weren't you at church? We just, how are you? What is, you know, what is going on in your life? Is there something I can help you with? And if you're having trouble doing this, uh, it's good to ask yourself, how patient has God been with you? And how kind has he been to you? God's grace and patience for you is endless. He never tires. He never gives up. You might think he does, but he never does. And because of the grace we've received, we're challenged to show that same grace to everyone in our lives. It doesn't mean we create codependency, but form a place rooted in Jesus. We refuse to dwell on the offenses made against us. In the next part of the verse, Paul tells what love is not. Love is patient and kind, but it is not envious, and it's not boastful. These two words are related to each other. While looking at envy, we, we ask, how do I respond to another person's success? When we look at boasting, we say, how will I respond to my own success? Both words are, are the wrong answer to the question. Envy is the unhealthy way to respond to the success of others. And boasting is an unhealthy way to respond to our own success. And it's difficult in our culture, in the American culture, because we're self-made, pull ourselves up by our bootstraps, just try harder, be busy. Um, and, and we tend to accept envy and boasting. They become two sins that have kind of flown under the radar in our culture and often in church today. And in general, we don't call people out for being envious because we're not sure what's going on in their heart. And we don't often call them out for being boastful because um, sometimes it's just kind of accepted. They seem confident is our word for boastful. And um, Tyler says, if you have been calling people out, that's great. Hope you did it in love. So... <laughs> I got to tell you, side note, I'm in a discipleship group with Tyler. Um, you have a great pastor. He is a great man. And, um, uh, you know, like I said, off the record, he doesn't know I'm doing this. But I love 
who he is and how he pursues God and how he loves you and prays for you and fights for you. And so it's my honor to come up here and stand on his platform because it is sacred to him. It's a sacred trust. And um, But again, I see his little notes in his Tyler jokey ways to you, and I'm just like, <laughs> he writes them in there. So... But why do we struggle with envy and boasting? Um, we're told if we want to make it, we want to sell ourselves. You've seen the book, How to Win Friends and Influence People, and there's just tons and tons of resources on, on how you can make yourself better. And um, even if we say that we're living for the kingdom of God, uh, we often look around at other kingdoms and we try to compare ourselves or work towards those. And, and then we envy the success of others that, that get that. And, um, but envy can, can subtly lie under the radar of our lives. And maybe you too um, go to social networking sites and, and you see like all these wonderful pictures. And if you're stressed out and difficult and totally need a vacation, the last thing you should do is go on social media and look at all these people that are getting vacations because you're just like, ah, I wish I could do that. And um, God sometimes wishes you would just turn off your social media. Um, I probably shouldn't say that. Speak for you, God, but I wonder sometimes if you just want us to turn it off instead of the way you know. Like, yeah, social media is is kind of a toxic place for 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 boasting and envying, and um, but we constantly need to check our hearts um, because really, it, what what we want to want is what God wants for us. That is the best thing for us. And Paul writes that, you know, that he learns to be happy with much and happy with little. And really what we want is, is to know Christ in such a way that we would be fulfilled in any situation. And that, that desire that we really have gets hidden by this desire of our eyes that kind of tells us we think we want these things. And people that go out and get them aren't necessarily better or happy. And so what the best place for each of us is, is to fully receive the gifts that God is giving us in who he is and the relationships uh, of those around us. But on the flip side of envy, we have boasting. It's when we make a big deal about ourselves. We boast when we talk on and on about our stuff or our accomplishments. And boasting comes from a heart focused on us. And I don't know about you, but when I boast, it's partly because like, hey, look at how great I did, but it's mostly because I'm just needy. And I want the thing that I did to, to kind of other people to be happy that I did the thing that makes me feel great. But it's, but it's empty. It's an empty exchange because no one likes other people boasting, right? When I do it, it doesn't look good. When you do it, it looks a little bit better, but it still doesn't look good. Um, so boasting is not God's heart. One time Jesus was calling out the selfishness of the Pharisees. He says, out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. If our thoughts are consumed with self only, it's going to come out in us controlling conversations and talking about ourselves. And one comedian called people who do this, the me monsters. Instead, love calls us to listen, not control. If you're constantly asserting yourself in a conversation, it might be time to check your heart. 
Where's your heart focused? Are you too wrapped up in your own success? Or are you really about God's success in the world today? Envy and boasting naturally tie into the next part of Paul's definition for love. He follows by saying love is not arrogant or rude. Arrogance and rudeness are two expressions of our pride. When our life is run by our pride, it comes out in these ways. But again, these words are related. So looking at arrogance, we ask the question, how important am I trying to make myself? How important do I make myself? Arrogance is an over-important view of self. Because my dad died when I was young, I, I learned arrogance as a survival lie. I was like, um, who's that guy? Uh, was it Stuart Smalley on um, Saturday Night Live? He'd look in the mirror. I'm good enough. I'm smart enough. And apparently you don't watch Saturday Night Live or TV. <laughs> this is a whole, do you guys even have TVs? <laughs> like in Bellingham, we have TVs everywhere. So, uh, yeah, that, anyway, so I'm good enough. He'd look in the mirror and say, I'm good enough, I'm smart enough, and, and people like me. And, but I had to learn to, you know, but it was this false bravado, this false type of arrogance. And, but looking at rudeness, we ask the question, how important do I make others? So arrogance is an over-important view of self. Rudeness is an under-important view of others. And there's symmetry in here. So arrogance and rudeness disrupt the type of community God intends for us to become. And if you want a homogenous group of people, say a church or a social group or a family, just try to get everybody to act the same, and then everybody doesn't have to work hard at arrogance or rudeness because we're all kind of the same. But, but arrogance and rudeness are tested when you have people that have more than you and you have people that, that have less than you. Are you going to be boastful? Are you going to envy? Are you going to be arrogant? Are you going to be rude? And the people of God are to gather in such a way that if someone walks in with nothing, they get the same level of dignity than someone who has everything. And James talks about this. And so the, there is symmetry in this passage, but it's really that love is, is supposed to be, when we love people, it's not about how much they have. It's about who they're made in the image of. And we've never met a human that's not made in the image of the one we serve, our creator God. Paul says in Romans 12, 3 through 5, it's by grace given to me. I say to everyone among you not to think of himself more highly than he ought, but to think with sober judgment, each according to the measure of faith that God has assigned. For as in one body we have many members, and the members do not all have the same function, so that we, though many, are one body in Christ and individual members one of another. So we are all relating to each other through our connection to Jesus, not our connection to what we have uh, or haven't done or what we have or don't have on the world. In our time and place, we have more opportunity to be individualistic and narcissistic than ever before. We have more options as consumers than ever. Our culture gives us every opportunity to create our identity through what we choose. If we have the means, we can improve anything we want to improve even our own bodies. Plastic surgeons today are getting floods of requests from young people to change their appearance uh, so that they can look like their Instagram or Snapchat filters. Our obsession with improving ourselves can become an unstoppable addiction. Arrogant makes us um, the focal point of the story instead of Jesus and the people that he's asking us to love.
Instead of surrendering and submitting to following Jesus, we live according to what's best for us. If living for Jesus doesn't somehow make things better for us, we quickly ditch pursuing him. And the serious news flash is this. Jesus didn't come to improve our personal lives. And this is a difficult truth to swallow, but life is not about us. I have a friend who was a teacher, and he used to start class by saying, class, I'd like you to look up at the ceiling. And we're not a class, but this is kind of like a school ceiling. So, and he said, now, I want to ask, can anyone see the room circling around them overhead? And the kids would go, no, no, no. And then he'd say, well, then you are not the center of the universe. <laughs> and you will not be the central focus of this classroom. And I'm like, that is brilliant. I'm going to use that in a couple years when I'm substitute preaching in Blaine. <laughs> So, CTK Blaine, we're not the center of the universe. It's about Jesus. It's about who he is. And our lives are to be submitted and surrendered to the truth of who he is. And as we understand him, we understand life. As we understand him, we understand love. But it's not for our sake, it's for his sake. And the more that we get this, the more that we will be free from the addictions of self and the ways, the toxic ways that they, uh, they, they, they are lived out in this world. Jesus has called the church to be interdependent, like a molecule. No part of the molecule is more important. Each relies on its connection to the other parts for its identity. When we realize how much we need Jesus and the gift that life is, we realize that we are becoming together part of the body of Christ, part of his plan. Instead of being about our focus or our show, we sign up much more about something bigger about him. And this is why we actually planted CTK Blaine the way that we did. We could have rolled in with a big service and, and, and thrown Mikey up there. I mean, Mikey would just attract people, right? But it's not about you, Mikey. <laughs> we wanted to connect people relationally. And that's what we've done. And those, that is the church in action, right? Meeting in the homes and serving people and serving the community in ways that no one will ever know but Jesus knows. And that is what it means to be the people of God. And that is how we're going to see change in Blaine. And we're going to gather week, weekly to remind ourselves who God is and who we are called to together. But it's so that we are better equipped to go out during the week. We're members of one another. We're bonded together in the love of Christ for the mission of God. If we follow Christ, we find our joy and our life in being about his mission rather than a mission of self-importance. Rudeness is the other side of that coin. The other side uh, of arrogance is rudeness towards others, devaluing others. Um, but we want to uphold someone's honor even when their behavior doesn't seem to call for it. Maybe you feel like it's, it's calling for something else, but there's no, there's no place for us to be rude. Rudeness is a cancer that kills community. It's a negativity that can spread throughout the church and kill the culture that's built on Christ. Saying harsh things about each other without love is what we're about. Saying harsh things about each other without love um, 
is not what we're about. It's what kills community. So, so we're not to under, uh, undermine our ability to love people by being careless about what we say. And so if we start to find ourselves feeling better than someone or frustrated with someone before speaking to them or speaking about them to another, just want to invite you to just take a moment. What would love do in this situation? How does Jesus feel for this person? God, would you help me to see this person the way that you see them, to pray for them? Because we might be a total extrovert, and they might be a total introvert. We might be totally organized, and they might be totally disorganized. We might um, love the Seahawks, and they might love the Patriots, but <laughs> God is not calling us to be rude. So if you see, if you see God change your heart, um, we, need to, we need to extend that kindness to others. So what's the call of this verse? What does it mean that love is patient and kind and not focused on self? Love demands that we give up fighting for our own importance and find importance as part of God's fight for others. That we will actually, as a people of God here in Blaine, be more connected to the community when we honor our community, when we pray for our community, when we fight for our community, and this is not a political statement, but it is often seen as political. It's not about loving their politics. It's about loving their creator. And um, we want to love well here, and that's what this series will do. And so as we go to prayer, I'm just going to ask that God would teach us more today how to live and love more like him. Will you pray with me? Father God, I want to thank you, God. I can't even say, Jesus, that you are an example of love because you are love. But I want to thank you for showing love in such a way that invites us into the fullness of love with you. And God, I pray that you would knock us off the high horse of arrogance and boasting and you would join us into the strong sense of humility that you have in showing love for others. God, help us to, to show love well to those in this room, to those in our family and extended family, to those at our places of work. Jesus, you came to change the world, and you, the weapon that you fought with was love. So, God, would you help us to engage the world around us, not through a um, flimsy, moldable, jello-type love, but a strong, biblical, grace, and truth-filled love. God, teach us to be more like you. Lord, and, and we do want to pray for the Mitchell family. Please help them recover well from whatever uh, is going on. Um, and God, thank you for those here that are taking a brave step to become more like you and learning to love and live more like you here together at CTK Blaine. Will you help us in Jesus' name? Amen.